Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Welcome to the podcast. I am here today with Carrie Jackson Cheadle. Carrie is a mental skills coach, and she has a great book that I read. It's been a couple years ago. It's called On Top of Your Game. And so welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So we met a couple years ago at the Training Beach, I can't talk today, Training Peaks Endurance Summit. Yes. And you gave a really great talk at that time that was so helpful to me. I think I mentioned before we got on the call here that I had just been diagnosed with breast cancer when we met. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember exactly what you said to me, but it made the a world of difference. So I was really fixating and panicking about one little detail of the procedure that somebody had told me about that happens on the day of your surgery. And it just freaked me out. And I was so scared and I was calling the doctors and the doctors are like, no, you don't need any anxiety medicine for that. We can't give you anxiety medicine. And I was just convinced that I had to have this medicine. And I had some random conversation with you as we were walking across the football field, like from lunch back to our sessions. And I wish I could remember specifically what you said, but it was such a big deal to me. And it totally changed my mindset and helped me just sail through the rest of that. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And I remember that. And it probably, if I had to guess, because I think that year, what what I spoke on was like helping athletes deal with their pre-performance anxiety before Mm -hmm. we... I think it was. Is that right? Okay. So, um, you know, so I probably, you know, it's like, it's really similar in that, you know, you're applying the same concepts, but to a sort of life performance, so to speak. So for you, it was the anxiety of going to have this surgery, which, um, you know, it's completely different than (laughs) free race anxiety, but what's happening in the body and what's happening in the mind that the anxiety piece, like those, there's still things that you can do to help with that. So I'm sure I'm glad that I said something that was brilliant and thoughtful and, <laughs> and resonated and helped. <laughs> yeah. So you came into this career because of something that happened while you were rock climbing with a friend, right? Yeah, there were, I had a couple different experiences um, before I even knew sports psychology existed. Um, like I had no idea that it was a field of study. I had no idea that people worked with athletes on performance enhancement and helping them perform, you know, deal with performance anxiety and perform consistently under pressure. And um, I had, so one of the experiences I had when I started to realize, oh, whoa, this is all in her head was, um, I was rock. I used to rock climbing used to be one of my sports and, um, I would go for a week in the fall and the week in the winter. I mean, I climbed all throughout the year, but there were two times or a week in the fall and a week in the spring where I would go to Joshua tree national park and go, it's like a climber's playground. And, um, I'd go for a week and just climb. And, um, I was with a girlfriend of mine and she was like, you know, on the cover, you know, covers of climbing magazines. Like she was top notch, like an incredible climber. And we were working through this climb and it was a climb where when she did it on top rope, which means there's an anchor at the top of the rock and you're totally secure. Um, you know, I saw her top rope it a million times. Like she could have done it with her eyes closed and like, it was nothing. It was, you know, she, it was graceful and strong and incredible. And then she was going to lead it, which means 
Now, instead of the anchor being at the top of the rock, you're placing gear as you go, which means it's a little more committing in terms of if you've placed a piece of gear and you take a fall, you're praying that that piece of gear holds because that's the thing that's going to catch you instead of having this like solid anchor at the top. So she was lead climbing this climb I saw her do a million times and she got about halfway up and froze on the rock. And um, I was watching her and kind of like, you're sort of silent for a little while, allowing her to sort of work through what she needs to do. And then it became clear that like, oh, she's panicked. Like she, she, like the, the flip, there was a switch that flipped where it went from like, I need to figure this out to, I don't think I can do this and kind of froze on the rock. And so kind of talking her through that and, and she was able to work through it and and ended up being able to um, do the rest of the climb. But it was a huge eye opener for me of like, oh, it's all in her head. Like I saw it playing out right in front of me. Like she can do this. She's done it a million times, but where she's choosing to focus is totally different because there's a bigger risk involved. And it was, um, you know, so the, I had had experiences like that, that made me realize, oh man, the brain is a huge part of this idea of being able to perform and have confidence and deal with, you know, all of these, you know, the challenges, all the mental piece of performance. And then I randomly ended up finding out about sports psychology and was like, oh my gosh, what is this? This is incredible. This is exactly what I saw play out. So yeah, it was interesting that that experience happened before I even knew what sports psychology was. How fun that you were able to see it in action at an early enough age that you could decide that that's what you wanted to do. So what do you do? Let's say you're working with a triathlete and they have panic attacks when it comes to the idea of getting in the water and their panic attacks are either so bad that, you know, they're swimming and they have a panic attack in the middle of the race, or maybe it's even like such a big fear that they can't even put that toe in the water, two different situations, but how would you advise that type of an athlete? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I've, I've actually worked with quite a few triathletes with this, the fear of the open water swim. Like there's a lot of people that mm-hmm. fear alone keeps them from even doing a triathlon. And so, um, and then there's, you know, the people that I've worked with, they just have such a, a big desire to want to do it that they, um, they decide they, they want to figure out how to work through it. Um, or maybe they do their first triathlon and realize, okay, that the, I loved all of it except for the swim. So then they reach out to me to kind of try and figure out like, how can I build confidence? And so, um, you know, there, one of the things I'll work on with my triathletes with that particular, there's a few different things I work on with that one in particular with fears of the open water swim. Um, and one is making sure that we create like a pre-performance plan going in. So a lot of times athletes will, you know, they'll have their plan, like here's my race plan and here's exactly what I'm going to do during my triathlon. And, you know, they might even think through like different potential um, scenarios of what the, how they'll address challenges as they come up. Um, however, really your performance doesn't start when the gun goes off. It starts when you start to prepare for your event. But a lot of times people don't put any thought necessarily into their mental preparation in that situation where, you know, how can I get myself to the start line feeling confident and focused and prepared and really ready to do this and excited to do this. Um, and so, so that's one thing is, um, is that we really make sure to 
dial in that pre-performance time so that instead of <laughs> it being this time where your anxiety just like continues to ramp up until you, you know, hit the water. Cause for a lot of people, it's just, it's like, um, it's just anxiety. It's that, that like that builds, but as soon as you hit the water, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for some of them, the, the fear of the open water, it's just the buildup. But then for others, it's not with, with this one in particular, it's, I don't, uh, they don't feel confident in the water. So there's a few different things we'll do. One is, you know, we'll talk through like, well, what's your biggest fear about open water swimming and where are you focused and really making sure that we help them to choose where they want to focus. That's going to help them feel confident and calm instead of focusing on something that induces sort of panic and fear and doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, you know, getting, we'll set specific goals for getting more time in the open water Um, you don't want the first time you're, you know, or even one of the first times you're getting into the open water to be in a race situation. You want to have some level of comfort and you only get that by going out and doing it. And then the other thing I'll do is like, you know, people will have fears about, well, what happens if my goggles fall off or, um, what happens if someone swims over me? Like people kind of freak out about the people Mm -hmm. around them. So I'll have them go out with like a really trusted friend, someone that they feel very confident in their swimming ability and confident with them and create drills of swimming close to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, have your friends swim over you and keep and have you continue to swim. And then we've worked on like things that they can sort of do and say to themselves after that happens to just maintain that. Um, what's interesting though, something that it, it took me a while to realize this is sometimes, especially if you have a fear of the open water and if you've ever had a panic attack, Sometimes we'll, we'll read, we'll misread cues in our body that make us think that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. But what's happening is that you just increased your heart rate t- too fast. <laughs> so sometimes just having that knowledge and being able to talk yourself through that is like, oh, okay. It's because I started too fast and my heart rate's up. I'm not having a panic attack. I just need to pace myself mm-hmm. like through that. Cause you can kind of feed the monster, so to speak, and, and exacerbate that feeling when your interpretation of the increased heart rate is, oh no, I'm having a panic attack. Instead, it's like, oh, oops, I went out too fast. Okay. I'm going to breaststroke for a minute and catch my breath or do. And that's part of it too. I think with my open water swimmers, I know this is a totally long answer to your question, but no, it's all great information. I love it. Um, I, sometimes we like, we'll play these I don't know. It's, it's so funny. Like we'll play these mind games with ourselves where we think, well, I'm not a real triathlete if I have to tread water or if I have to do breaststroke, like unless I swim the entire way without having to stop and swim freestyle, it means I'm not really an athlete or it's, or somehow it's a sign of failure instead of like, so part of it too, is just like, if you need to go off to the side for a second and not be near people and it, t- and it means you have an extra two minutes on your time, who cares? Like if you, if that's what you need for your confidence to keep going, mm-hmm. you're the one that gets, you get, this is your race. You write the story and you create the meaning behind it. And who cares what anyone else thinks? And really they're not thinking about you anyway. <laughs> like they're just, they're really not thinking about like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person did breaststroke in the middle. It's the pressure. <laughs> Right. Nobody has time to think about that while they're all trying to save their own lives. Everyone's are yeah, exactly. In their own heads, fighting their own demons. Like nobody cares. So it's but we care. Like right. Like Uh you, you've identified um, 
this is meaningful that like, if I, you've identified, like there's a belief there that somehow says, if I, if I swim breaststroke, it means I'm not really an athlete. Well, that's not true. You know? So sometimes it's kind of working through those things that we tell ourselves to. Um, yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a few different tactics of like, kind of how do you relax the mind to feed your confidence and how do you recognize what's really panic and what's actually just other symptoms of working hard mm-hmm. uh, start to work on that piece. I love all of that. That was really great advice. This episode is sponsored by my coaching company, Power of Run. If this is the year you want to run your first or fastest half marathon, walk or run a 5K, or jump into the world of triathlon, check out my coaching programs at www.crushingmygoals.com slash store. So thinking about your typical weekend warrior, let's say that you have a group of women who decide they're going to do a half marathon to celebrate somebody's big birthday and being in the number zero, whatever, one of those big milestone birthdays. And they, they all get excited. They sign up for the race. And then as it gets closer and closer to the race, they just lose their motivation or their desire to train. And all of a sudden they realize that they're finding excuses not to train. What, what is going on there mentally with them or what could be going on? And then how do you address that and fix it so that they can get to their race that at one point was really important to them? Yeah. Um, it's so funny. And it's like, I've seen this a few times. It's like the whole, like, we're going to do this together and it's going to be amazing. And like, there's something to committing to that. And in that moment, when you commit to it, right, if there's this energy and excitement and it feels good and you feel really good about it and you want to do this for this person and you want to do it for yourself. Um, and you start out with the best of intentions. And then, um, for some people that I've seen go through this, sometimes that, like you were saying, like they end up just dropping out completely or they get to a point where they start to feel like, Oh my God, like regret signing up in the first place. Uh Like they're going to do it. They're going to force themselves to do it. But now like that excitement and joy is no longer there. It feels like this is something I have to do, or I'm being forced to do instead of like, no, this is something I chose to do that I was really excited about. So, so one thing to kind of figure out if you find yourself in that position where you've signed up for this, you've committed with a group of friends and suddenly you're like, yeah, I don't really want to do this. I think I'm going to drop out is to ask yourself, is it, um, you know, sometimes we assume, I think sometimes we assume what is a lack of motivation is actually a lack of confidence. So to kind of ask yourself, am I burnt out? Like, am I just like not having fun with this anymore? Or is there some part of me that's not feeling confident in my ability to do this? And that's a kind of an important assessment because that'll, t- that'll help you f- figure out what you need to do. Um, cause if it's like, I'm bored and burnt out, maybe you need to change up your training plan. Maybe you need to go somewhere else. Maybe you need to run with, um, a different friend. Like th- there's things you can do to make it fun again and kind of recommit and remember that initial reason why you did it and maybe go out with that group of friends again and like have a check-in or something. But then if it's a lack of confidence, it's a little bit different. And so you'll, you'll want to ask yourself, um, there's a couple different things that can happen. One might be, it might be the lack of confidences. I signed up with these people and I don't think I'm going to be able to run with them. I had things happen that changed my training plan and I didn't get in as much training as I wanted. Cause you know, you had an increase in your workload or you got sick or your kids got sick, like all kinds of things happen where 
it makes there's it creates this cognitive dissonance between what you originally had hoped to do with your goal and what you originally hoped to accomplish with the reality of what's happening now. And so sometimes instead of adjusting the goal and kind of recognizing like, you know what, my original goal, I'm not going to be able to do it and that's okay. But sometimes instead of adjusting, we just think, we kind of think of our goals as all or nothing. And you feel like we already failed and I don't want to go and be embarrassed or I don't want to go and not be able to be with my friends. So I'm just going to quit instead of kind of recognizing, you know what, life happens. I'm going to have to adjust my goal. So what's realistic now and know that that's still a worthy goal. Like that's still, you can still go and feel good about, about it. But our ego, we just do battle with our ego because it feels like you failed when you haven't failed. That's just a reality. Like if you run long enough, if you're, you know, if you get to do this long enough, at some point, this is going to happen where you're going to come into a situation where you had all, you know, you were completely, you know, you did all of your training and then something happened and you had to, you know, it just, you have to adjust your goal. Um, so, so that's, sometimes it's not necessarily motivation. It's, it's a, a challenge with confidence. And is it that you need to recommit to your training plan? Cause maybe you just kind of got off track and need help getting back on track. Cause that's something that happens too with life getting in the way. Or is it, you need to accept that you adjusting your goal and not being able to accomplish the same thing you set out to achieve originally doesn't, you don't have to connect that with your self-worth. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person. Um, and it doesn't mean that you failed. So really kind of getting away from this all or nothing idea of the goals that we set for ourselves can help if you find yourself sort of <laughs> your motivation declining. <laughs> at the I end. think that one is such an important one too, because I really think that people get in their own heads for that very reason way too much. We expect perfection. And if we can't do the run or the swim or whatever, the workout our coach gave us perfectly, then all of a sudden we failed when that really isn't the case. And then I think it just kind of spirals. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny to get a lot of my, like there's athletes, there's a certain sort of sect of athletes that they really feel like, um, that they, you know, when they're working with a coach and they, and their coach has given them this training plan that they have to do that training plan 100% exactly as it's prescribed. But really, um, there are very few athletes and I, and I include professional athletes in this with my elite athletes as well that are able to do it a hundred percent as it's prescribed. That's not how it works because, because life happens because injuries right. happen, because illness happens because your body didn't recover exactly the way you need to. So there's, it's a, it's a cover. It's a, it's like a structure that begins the conversation, but not like, so to not think like, if you the, uh, that if you can't do it a hundred percent, that that means you're a bad athlete or that your coach is going to be mad at you. That's a conversation. Like any great athlete, like coach is going to want to know, well, how's your body feeling? And do we need right. to make adjustments? Um, Cause if you don't make those adjustments, you might not get to the start line at all. Well, and I think that is also so important because if you're putting that much pressure on yourself, the average person is also, it takes, starts taking away the fun. It steals the joy 
from, and, and most of us aren't professional athletes. We're not making our living that way. Right. So, I mean, you need to have fun. If it, And if it's not fun, what is the point? Because that little race is just a blip on the timeline of all the time you spent preparing. Yes, exactly. And I, you know, that's, I think that that's something unique to, um, triathlon and, and running, um, and especially these longer endurance events, because with, you know, when you take a sport like baseball or soccer or football or lacrosse or something like that, you have multiple competitions throughout a season. Um, so it's, with these endurance events, there's a lot of pressure that people put on themselves to perform that day of, right? Like it's kind of the whole point is like you do all this training to be able to be, to do your best on the day of. So we end up looking at it under a microscope and put all of the meaning of this journey onto this one day instead of kind of stepping back and recognizing you know, all of the things that you did to get yourself to be ready, to be ready, like race ready on that day, that there's a bigger picture there to sort of recognize and, um, and, and sort of, uh, re- reward yourself for in, in terms of like recognizing all of the work that you did. And, and you're right. Like if uh, it, there's something interesting about triathlon where and cycling even and my runners where it's almost like they hold themselves to the same standard as the elite athletes and the professional athletes in terms of how much pressure they put on themselves they put more pressure on themselves than my elite athletes really but like the way they're holding this is um yeah it's supposed to add to your quality of life so if you're you keep thinking about it as this stressful thing and something you're f- being forced to do, that's not the point of of it. It re- so you really do have to reconnect with like, well, why am I doing this? Like, what is the reason I wanted to do this, and what meaning does it have for me underneath all of like the the where you focus on the outcome? Because um, people really get wrapped up in like, um, it's only worth it. If every time I go, I have a PR, well, that's not, that's not how that works. There's so many factors that are out of your control that have an influence on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But something in the brain, that ego wants to hold on to that idea. Even if it's like a different race course with totally different conditions, they're still holding on to like, yeah, but if I don't beat my time, then it means I should probably quit. <laughs> like, and it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So shortly after I met you and I heard you talk at the Endurance Summit, and again, I don't remember specifically what your speech was on that day either when you were talking to the whole group, yeah. but I used that information. Nice. And it was probably three weeks before my mastectomy. And I had what was one of those races that I could have said completely fell apart because everything that could have gone wrong did. I mean, something went wrong in the swim. I crashed my bike. My chain fell off. I hurt my ribs so much I could hardly run. And still throughout the whole race, I just kept on shaking it off and shaking it off and putting it behind me and not thinking about it. And I still look at that race as being one of my most successful races. And it was a course PR for me but I was able to use some of those skills that you had taught us to just kind of like, okay, I'm not going to worry about that right now. That happened and we're going to keep moving. Can you talk about some of those things that are helpful to athletes that would help them 
just kind of shake off those things that the bad things that happen on race day. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is, um, I mean, your, your experience is such a great testament to this, that like things don't have to be perfect in order for you to have a good race. Like it's very rare that you have, you know, anyone can perform well if you, you know, were able to do your race, your training exactly the way that you wanted and nothing interfered and race day is gorgeous and there are no mechanicals. Like, you know, that's not how it usually plays out more often than not there are going to be challenges. And just because you have those challenges, um, it's how you react to them and how you get through them that really might make the difference between the PR or not, right? Like you, you know, your ability to get through those allowed you to continue in a way where you still got that PR where other people would have crumbled. In the first, they kind of, at the sign of the first challenge, they feel like their goal is slipping through their fingers instead Mm -hmm. of, hey, what do I need to do? So one of the things to know at, at kind of at the outset is um, to trust like whatever race day brings, I'm, I'll be ready for it. Like, and whatever happens on race day, that's what this, re- this race is meant to be. Um, to really accept like, I mean, really, it's like the, it's the challenges that make it so meaningful in a lot of ways. Like, um, I mean, you think about any great story if, if everything happened perfectly and there were no struggles and there was no strife, it would be pretty boring. Like we, right. that's really not a story worth telling. I don't want to watch this movie anymore. Yeah. Right. right. Like, yeah, exactly. like that's not what we're attracted to. We're really attracted to seeing like, what am I capable of and what can I overcome? And can I, can I continue to push myself even in the face of adversity? And so to, you know, to start out at the outset with that mindset of like, I, whatever race day brings, that's what I'm meant to be dealing with today. And that's my race. Um, that it, you know, to just be ready for that. And then I might have athletes kind of think through, well, what are some of the, um, you know, what are the, some of the situ like we'll go through and do critical moments. Like, so throughout any given sport and any, or any race day, there's certain critical moments where in that, moment in time, it becomes imperative to think about where does my focus need to be in order to get through that moment successfully. Um, so really thinking about it as these getting through these moments instead of like only seeing it as the big picture and only seeing like, Oh my gosh, I'm losing. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my PR, but when you're faced with this instead, it's like, okay, well, what do I need to do in order to get through this moment? So what's interesting is I'll go through with an athlete and we'll figure out all the critical moments for the race. And some of them are pretty much the same for all athletes. And then some might be really unique and specific to you. So, um, you know, for example, I, you know, working with, um, triathletes and cyclists, sometimes one of the critical moments might be when I get or, or passed on the bike or passed on the run. So you're feeling really great. You're feeling amazing. You're like, I can't believe this. And you know, everything's going great so far. And then all of a sudden you get your, you hit a climb and someone passes you that in your mind, you've decided you should be able to perform better than them. Right. Um, so even though you're feeling amazing, as soon as that happens, it's like, that's a critical moment because as soon as that happens, um, suddenly you're slowing down because now you have all this doubt and you feel where one second ago you felt amazing. You feel like 
oh my God, I don't need, maybe I should just quit the sport altogether because of this one thing that happened. So identifying whatever those critical moments are for you. Um, you know, maybe it's like when I feel like I want to stop running when I, um, you know, when, you know, just whatever those moments are to think about, okay, here's the moment. And what do I need to do in that moment? Where does my focus need to be in order to get through that moment successfully and identify those identify your strategy ahead of time so that you can seamlessly go into um, your strategy instead of spending time figuring out how to um, react and respond to that situation. Um, So really it's choosing those responses ahead of time. So you can just like, you know what, it's okay. I can handle this. What do I need to do? Um, And sometimes figuring out what those critical moments are, like for a lot of people, um, sometimes one of them is um, if they get a flat on the bike and they're not feeling very, they're not confident in changing their own tire. So then we'll set up a like, okay, so that's the next goal. We're going to set up a time for you to do some drills around changing your flat. Because if you're confident in that, um, that's going to change your whole experience if that happens, you know, instead of it being like, you're in the middle of a race and you get a flat instead of having like the oh shit factor. Right. <laughs> what are you gonna do? And like it's like, okay, I've practiced this, I can handle this, I'm gonna get off the bike, I can do this because you've done it. So really thinking about like uh your t- part of your training plan also being training in the things that you're not feeling as confident in. And that might be an example of one of them. So I've had my athletes like go out for a training ride and in the middle of their ride, pull over and change their flat. And they don't have a flat, but they have to change their tire on the side of the road to get experience doing that. And that is such a great idea too, because so many, especially when you're first starting in triathlon, that's that and the swim are probably two of the biggest fears that you hear. Yep. Absolutely. And then the whole transition thing and how do you change your shoes and all that stuff quickly enough, right? Yeah. Yep. Hey friends, I got so excited about today's episode that I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Kim Peek and I am the founder of Power of Run. When I first started running, I was somebody who absolutely hated running and my friends dragged me into it kicking and screaming. And you can hear all about that in episode one. I ended up losing 50 pounds in the process, and after that, I was hooked. Now I'm a coach, and I believe that movement and running and fitness and nutrition and the friendships we develop out of that activity can transform lives. And it's my goal with this podcast to help you learn to think, move, and live like a champion. You can get all kinds of freebies Learn more about me and find out what kinds of courses I am offering by going to crushingmygoals.com. Also remember to follow me on social media as at sign power of run and remember to subscribe to this podcast. Enjoy the show. You also do a little thing on embracing the suck, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when, when, and we're not talking about running on a broken leg or a broken foot or something that's going to cause you long-term damage. I just want to wrap up by saying that. But when you're racing and you are just completely miserable, what are some things that you can tell yourself or what do you do to get through that so that you can finish your race? Yeah, that's a, um, 
Or your training run. Right? Yeah, exactly. One thing, there's a couple of things I'll do with people on this one in, in particular, this whole idea of like psychology of suffering and embracing the suck, because that really becomes a pretty significant part of an endurance event is your ability to tolerate the, the pain that comes with an endurance support or sport and like endure, um, the pain, the, like the suffering that's going to happen inevitably as a part of that. And, um, what's interesting is for some people, what I've realized, um, and this, this might not apply to everyone listening, but first it was significant enough that I realized, Oh, I had a lot of people that were coming into endurance sports, like coming into triathlon or coming into cycling or running. And they did, they'd never had any, um, sport experiences growing up. And so they, they, in their mind, like their brain didn't know how to discern the difference between pain. That's like, this isn't good. I need to stop. And pain. That's like, Oh, I can work through this. This is pain that comes with pushing my body to its, like to its limit and seeing the potential, which is different. Like you were saying, that's different than pain of injury. That's a different topic entirely. That's my next book I'm working on. So maybe we'll do a different podcast on that. Awesome. I can't wait. So, um, but this, so sometimes help, you know, for those of you that may not have that in your experience of understanding pain in terms of athletic performance and pushing yourself, um, sometimes it's conversations around figuring that what the difference is and knowing like, oh, my brain because my only experience with pain was pain that was bad in my past, like my brain automatically makes that association. So I have to start to recognize there's a difference. So one thing that um, everybody can do to kind of start to play with this idea of like psychology of suffering, because your psychology plays a very significant role in um, our pain tolerance. It's kind of phenomenal. And so one thing I'll do, um, and I do this myself, I, I love this, like, is whatever your workout is that day to push yourself just a little bit further than where your defined end point is. So you get this experience of, um, if you need to, you can push harder than you think. So you're starting to play with this, this idea of like, there's more in the tank than you realize, and you can continue to push through even the moments where you're, you really want to stop. Um, cause really it's about getting through that moment. Cause usually things settle in and you kind of get back into the rhythm and you feel good again. So it's getting through this moment. So say you're doing an, um, I don't know, you're doing intervals or something. So maybe you just go like 15 seconds or 10 or 30 seconds beyond your assigned endpoint. So you start to just push it, you know, so you're not like going at like doing this astronomical, like, but can I, can I push 1% more? Just 1%. That's all your brain needs in order to kind of like see like, Oh, I can do this. So then that starts to play with that idea. But during race or training, there's different strategies you can use that help you deal with the the pain of suffering. And one, um, like when you get to a certain point in how hard your body's working. You know, a lot of times people will try and distract themselves from the pain that they feel, but at a certain point that strategy no longer works because the suffering you're feeling is significant enough that like you can't not tend to me. So in those circumstances where you're really pushing yourself and your body's screaming at you and you want to stop. So say like maybe you're running 
and you're just starting to feel it and you, and you know, you know, if I stop, I'm done. Um, I need to keep going is to do some kind of rhythmic cognitive behavior. So that means something that you repeat to yourself. Um, so you don't have to use a lot of mental energy because you're already, you know, all your efforts are going into propelling yourself forward. So if you're running, it might be like, um, counting your steps. So for me, that's something I do when I run is I'll just continue to count to eight and repeat. Like I count my steps and I, I could do that forever. Um, and that's a strategy that I've done for so long. It works really, really well for me. Um, so counting your steps or sometimes saying the same word to yourself over and over. So if you're on the bike, it might be pedal, 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 or smooth, smooth, you know, whatever it is for you, but it's that repetition that you're, that kind of helps you keep moving. Um, another thing with those two, it might be like, um, instead of thinking like, you know, say you're on the bike or you're on the run and you've got 10 more miles to go or whatever it is, two more miles even. And you're like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do two more miles. Um, that you say, well, I don't have to do two more miles. I just have to get to that next tree. And so what you do is like, okay, I can, I can run to the next tree. And then you have to pass the tree and take a breath and then go, okay, what's my next point? Um, and because sometimes it really is just like getting through the moments and, and making it something that your brain's able to like make a little smaller instead of like, there's no way I can do this last five miles or six miles or whatever. Well, you don't have to worry about that. You just have to worry about, can I get it to the next marker? Um, and just focus on that. Um, so, you know, there's different little strategies you can do in the middle of what you're doing in, in order to make that happen. Um, and then another tip is to just like, think about, um, what you want versus what you don't want. So a lot of times we'll think of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to bonk or I don't want to stop. I don't want to whatever. So as soon as you, you know, say that if you start with the, the word don't, your brain has to process the rest of the sentence. And it processes that first before it even does don't, because it's like, okay, wait, what do you want me to not do? Oh, so you don't want me to stop. But as soon as you say stop, like you know, our, our brains are so amazing. They're so adept at like taking in information. And, and as soon as you say a word, it goes, what are all my associations with that? And what does that mean? And how do I feel when I say that word? And all this is happening like in less than a second. Um, so, so you really want to set yourself up for success by thinking about, well, what do you want versus what do you not want? Those are all great tips. And another thing I like about those is that just like with, I think, endurance sports in general, this doesn't just apply to just sports. I mean, you can get through any tough life situation by always, by using all those tools that you just mentioned, but especially the, what do I have to do in this moment? What do I have to do in the next moment? I mean, that's a great strategy for getting through pretty much anything that's really challenging. That feels overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you would like to talk about? I don't, not that I can think of. I think really it's just, um, you know, to like, you know, in general, if you're someone that's getting back into activity or, um, you know, maybe you had a long hiatus or something that you haven't done, or you just are, you know, kind of recommitting to this, like, I want to bring, you know, health and fitness back to the forefront, um, to, try to not 
fall into the um, all or nothing trap where it's like, if I can't do it exactly as the way, the way that I see it set out in my mind, then I'm just going to kind of fall off the wagon. So that's a, you know, in general, the research shows that anytime someone picks up like a, um, they decide that they're going to be physically active and they start to be physically active that um, whatever program they're doing or whatever tactic they've decided that typically people fall off at six months. And so what I, what I think happens sometimes is um, there's like a couple different things that, that are slippery slopes. So kind of figuring out for yourself, well, what's my slippery slope when I realize like, Oh, when this happens, that's setting up the slippery slope for me to possibly slide back and not work out anymore. Right. Like the, here are the things make it more likely that I might stop working out and just know what your more likelies are. Like know what those things are that like, Oh, the, this is my slippery slope. I need to pay attention. Um, and, um, knowing what those are and then kind of committing your, to yourself of what do you need to do when you know you hit your slippery slope? Cause it is, it is easier to address it at that point than it is to, um, get started again completely. It's like that idea of like things in motion tend to stay in motion. It's like the physics, like things in motion tend to stay in motion and things that are inert tend to stay inert unless some external force comes and pushes against them to get them started again. So a lot of times the like overcoming inertia (laughs) even get out the door is the biggest challenge. So whatever you can do to figure out like, Oh, what do I need to do to overcome that inertia? So for me, one of mine is like, if I'm feeling like, Oh, I don't want to work out today that I commit one of my commitments and this works really well for people. It doesn't work for everybody, but, um, my commitment to myself is like, okay, I have to put on all of my workout gear. And then if I put all of that on and I still don't want to go, that probably means I need a day off. Um, and I will tell you 99% of the time, if if I get that workout gear on, I'm going, I'm going to go work out because that's the, that is the barrier, right? That's the thing between me and working out and making the choice to do that. So, um, you know, to just think to yourself, like, don't worry if you missed a week. Don't worry if you, um, you know, got sick and you can't do the workout exactly as the way that you, you know, originally intended to that, that to not beat yourself up. Cause I think that's what ends up happening with the all or nothing is people beat themselves up and then decide as punishment (laughs) that they're just going to stop working out altogether. Mm -hmm. I have a mom that was working with me um, over the winter who is a school teacher and is and wasn't able to continue with her training. And she identified that it's just during the school year, she's a teacher. It has to, the workout has to happen while it's still dark in the morning before school. It's really the only way it fits into her schedule because she has little kids too. And so she is spending the summer basically training herself to get up early enough so that it can hopefully become a habit for the school year. Would you have any other tips that might apply in that situation? Yeah, it's, um, and, and that's a pretty common one, right? That there's just certain parameters that you have depending on your work, depending on your family life, um, that uh, your workout or your training can only happen during certain times. Um, so if you're, you know, especially if you're training for something, that does become a factor and something that you might want to think about. It's like, okay, I have to accept, like, if I really want to do this, the workouts have to happen in the morning. So how can I, how can I figure out how to make this happen for other people? um, If it's not necessarily training, but it's just figuring out how do I, 
how do I bring this to the forefront of my life instead of letting it be the thing that I constantly put on the back burner um, is maybe it needs to look a little bit different than what you originally thought. So like, are there ways if you have kids and you're trying to figure out like, well, how do I deal? Like, I really want to work out, but I have kids and they have homework or how do I manage childcare? Like that you get creative with, um, you know, maybe you have a friend that also has, has children and you guys swap watching each other's kids so you can get in your workout. Or maybe you go to the high school track and your kids play like in the middle of the football field, they play their own game while you go run, or maybe you do something physically active together as a family, like that it doesn't, you know, that the idea of moving your body doesn't only have to look one way, um, that it can look however you want it to look. Um, and whatever that means to you in order to make that, you know, in order to make that happen and make it a priority. But that's the big, the biggest thing is like, bringing it onto the front burner so that it becomes this thing where it's, it's no longer an option or a luxury to work out that it's, this is something that's important for me in order to be my best self. Um, Cause I think that's the other thing. Sometimes I'll see parents in particular, both men and women, both mothers and fathers. I'll see, there's a lot of um, guilt sometimes around getting in your training or getting in your workout or feeling like you should be with your kids or you should be with your spouse or you should be doing something else but while you're training or getting in your workout, but really sort of thinking of it as like in order for you to be a whole person, uh, both body and mind. And it's interesting because other cultures, they don't have a separate, there is no separate word for body and mind. It's all one thing. They don't have a separate like body mind idea. So we have this real like separation of body and mind. So in order to be a whole person, you are both and you need to tend to both. Like you need to care for your mind and you need to care for your body. And in order to bring your best self, you need to put energy into both of those things. Um, and that's something that you would want for your kids too. So to kind of reframe our thoughts around this idea of what it means to, to do this for ourselves and that it's not a luxury, it's not an extra, it's an essential. And that is something that I think especially moms have a really hard time wrapping their head around. So that's important, helpful advice there too. So if somebody wants to work with you or they want to explore more of this, you have a book, you have online courses. Tell us a little bit about what options people have to work with you. Yeah. So I've got, um, so the book on top of your game, mental skills to maximize your athletic performance. Um, so, and you can get that through Amazon and it's paperback and also Kindle. Um, and it has like, you know, a lot of times people want to work on their mental game or they want to improve their mental fitness, so to speak, but they don't know how, like we don't really conceptualize these things like motivation and confidence and focus, um, and goal setting as skills, but they really are skills. And so the book has exercises in, in like, here's, here's how to take this and do something with it in order to improve the skill of confidence or improve the skill of dealing with your performance anxiety or whatever that is. Um, and like you were saying, they're life skills too. So really you get to apply these to sport, but they apply to all different aspects of your life. So I've got that book. And then, um, there's, um, I have a couple online courses that are hosted through training peaks. So you can go there and do, um, I have a course for injured athletes. So any athletes that are coming back from injury. And then I also have a course on goal setting. Um, and a lot of times I'll tell athletes, 
and, and the people that work with me, like you haven't necessarily failed at your goal. You just may have failed at your goal setting strategy. So oh, nice. So it's really setting you up, yeah. sets you up to be successful, um, with your, with your goal that you set out for yourself. Um, and I do, um, I work with individual athletes and teams as well. And so, um, you can contact me through my website, which is, um, www.carriecheedle.com. And, um, I help all different athletes, um, to be able to perform to their potential and accomplish their goals, no matter what those goals are from like people that are just starting out to, I want to make health and fitness a regular part of my life all the way to elite and professional athletes. I get to work with and youth athletes and high school athletes and college. I get to do work with all of them. It's super fun. So yeah. So if you feel like, you know that the mental piece is part of what's getting in your way of finding joy in what you're trying to do or getting in the way of you performing to your potential. I really, I, this is a beautiful gift that you can give to yourself that is going to continue to keep on providing for you because they're life skills as well. And just to reinforce that, this is not strictly for somebody who has aspirations of being an elite athlete or somebody who is a professional athlete. This is something that everybody can benefit from. And I know as women, we don't like to always think about doing those things for ourselves, but we deserve to have a coach. We deserve to have somebody who will help us with our mental game. And so I I love what you're doing and I think it can be such a big help to people. Thank you. So so thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week, and I will catch you next Tuesday.